From KBOO in Portland, Oregon, this is Religion for Life, religionforlife.com. I'm John Schuck. The struggle for equality for sexual and gender minorities has been going on for decades in the United States. The Stonewall Riots in the 1960s were a watershed moment. The moral, rhetorical, and theological struggle has taken place in the churches. Since the 1970s, lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people have spoken out, marched, pleaded, and demanded understanding and equality. This quest for dignity has been on the front burner in mainline denominations. The specific prize was first ordination and then marriage recognition. My denomination, the Presbyterian Church USA, removed ordination barriers in 2011 and earlier this year, on St. Patrick's Day 2015, the definition of marriage was officially updated to reflect the reality of same-gender marriage. Marriage is no longer just between a man and a woman for Presbyterians, but between two people. That amendment was called 14F. These milestones don't just happen. The changing tide in favor of equality in our country and in our places of worship happens as people come out and as others stand up for what is right despite the backlash. The congregation I presently serve, Southminster Presbyterian Church, a progressive congregation in Beaverton, Oregon, played a role in the recent decision for marriage equality by sending an overture to the Presbytery and then on to General Assembly to change the definition of marriage. So now what? Now that ordination equality and marriage equality are in the books for Presbyterians and possibly for the nation, what's next for the LGBTQ liberation movement? Most of the struggle over the decades has been for lesbian and gay civil and ecclesiastical rights. Justice and understanding for transgender individuals is now taking center stage. Nearly three years ago, Alex McNeil was a guest on Religion for Life. Alex had been on two journeys, one toward ordination in the Presbyterian Church and one toward transitioning from female to male. He returns today as the executive director for More Light Presbyterians. More Light Presbyterians is an advocacy group for LGBTQ people. He's the first openly transgender leader of any organization in a mainline denomination. He's with me via Skype from Washington, D.C. Welcome back, Alex, to Religion for Life. Thanks, John. I'm glad to be on today. Well, you were on uh, the show here about three years ago uh, talking about uh, two journeys at that time. One was a journey toward ordination in the Presbyterian Church USA, and the other was a journey from female to male. Uh, where, where have you been on those journeys since we spoke? I can't believe it's already been three years. It, the journey has certainly continued since then on both fronts. Um, I'm now over three years into my medical transition um, of coming out as transgender and publicly identifying that way. Um, and uh, over the course of the past three years, I started working at More Light Presbyterians, as you mentioned. And when I was in the process of um, accepting that job, I, I spoke with the committee that was uh, searching for the next ED, and I said, look, you know, I'm finally to the point where I'm not getting patted down by the TSA every time I travel because they <laughs> think I'm suspicious, um, that I could be into a place of passing full-time as male, but I actually really feel called to stay open as a transgender person because I think that the church continues to need to hear stories of transgender people and are they are you are you welcoming of that are you open to that and they of course as a LGBT uh, faith organization wholeheartedly agreed and 
were so encouraging and supportive of me in that um, in, in that journey. And in the meantime, I have moved forward in the ordination process. It was really amazing how uh, going through this medical transition really brought me back into myself and feeling at home in my body again and helped me feel even more confident and comfortable in seeking uh, a call within the denomination and being open about uh, my my transition with the um, Committee for the Preparation of Ministry. Uh, under I had been under care for you know, seven years at that point. Uh, so I got to tell them about transitioning, and they were very supportive, which was pretty amazing, um, being from Western North Carolina. Um, it was, they, they, they just, they, all, all they had were, were questions and really got to see kind of who I was in that process. And so I've now moved to candidacy um, from an inquirer stage to a candidacy stage, which meant that I had a big public meeting at the Western North Carolina Presbytery uh, a year ago, um, where I was clear in my paperwork that I was transgender, um, but I really wanted to talk about my statement of faith. And it was a really incredible meeting um, where folks from all, all sides of the kind of theological spectrum around LGBT inclusion were able to have a conversation with me about how I felt called to serve the church. And ultimately, um, a majority of the folks in that presbytery supported my move to candidacy. So I'm one step away uh, from being certified ready for ordination. And it feels clear that when that is able to happen, that I will eventually be able to be ordained um, to the position here at Morelite. So um, it still seems like a long time, uh, seven years <laughs> for this process. I mean, uh, uh, why aren't you already certified uh, as a candidate or uh, for ordination? Yeah, and now we're at nine years um, that nine I've been years. under care of the Presbytery. Um, and it has been a long time. And when I started under care, I had just finished college and was going towards seminary. And I had known since I was in high school that I wanted to go to seminary and felt called to serve the church. But because there was the the rule within the Book of Order that prevented um, an openly gay or lesbian person from serving uh, in an ordained position within the church, folks who supported me in terms of my seeking a call and being an inquirer also were worried that if I were to go for candidacy and have this big public meeting, that I might not pass, that people would not be able to get beyond the rules within the Book of Order. Um, and that was very real. And so that that was about six years of my process that the rules on the books in 2011. Fortunately, the Book of Order was changed to no longer have that um, restriction in it. So it became possible. So in some ways, it feels like my journey has really been about three years um, mm. where it's been possible to actually seek ordination. And for me, it was really interesting when the change in the Book of Order happened, the question that I received most frequently was not, what are you going to do since you can't get ordained? And shifted to, so when are you going to get ordained? What are you going to do now? Um, and that was a really watershed moment for me to think about what was it that was preventing me from moving forward. And at that point, it wasn't the church anymore. It was myself and not feeling at home in my body and knowing that I needed to mm. deal with um, kind of the the gender dysphoria that I've been experiencing for a number of years so that I could be whole um, 
in seeking ordination. So the um, so there is nothing. Just to be clear, there's nothing in the Presbyterian Church USA rule book that prevents you from being ordained or any transgender person. No, and and there was never such a rule. Right. Um, and I started the process openly identifying as a lesbian, um, and so for that reason was not able to move forward. So you so now you are the executive director for More Light Presbyterians, and tell us a little bit about what More Light Presbyterians does. More Light Presbyterians was first the idea for More Light Presbyterians was first begun back in 1974 when Reverend David Sent stood up at the Presbyterian General Assembly and held up a sign that said, "Is anyone else out there gay?" And it was the first time that some of the silence around the exclusion of LGBT people had been broken and um, community started to form with others who identified as gay or lesbian and were seeking community. And then um, in 1978, the, one of the strands that became the Presbyterian Church USA uh, adopted a, a policy that homosexuals could be welcomed into membership but could not serve the church. And it was the Sunday after that report um, was adopted that a minister in West Park Church in, in New York City preached a sermon that said, there is yet more light to break forth on the scriptures around homosexuality and that that church was going to become a more light church and not exclude anyone from membership or leadership within the congregation. And since that day, the numbers of more light churches have grown. Uh, we're over 200 strong across the country. We even have a more light church in Wyoming and a church in West Virginia, in places where the conversation about LGBT inclusion um, has not happened as frequently. Um, so, more light churches uh, are, you know, a, a congregation will will have a conversation, and the session will vote to say yes, we're going to be a more light church. We're going to write a a statement and put it in our bulletin, and and choose to hold uh, to fully welcome LGBT persons into our midst. Um, so More Light for many years was uh, around to help congregations live into that welcome, to, to be a place where gay or lesbian, bisexual, or transgender people could find a church home, um, as well as to work on some of the restrictions that um, prevented people from f fully participating in the life of the church. So, of course, uh, we're very active around removing the policies against LGBT ordination or gay-lesbian ordination um, in 2011, and then um, most recently have uh, played a major role in helping to update our book of orders language around the definition of marriage, as well as allowing for a provision that ministers can marry same-sex couples in states where it's legal. And so, and those things are now done. So the next question I guess I would have is, what's next for more like Presbyterians? And, and related to that is a lot of it has been regarding um, lesbian and gay issues, but not so much on transgender issues, at least as I'm looking at it from the outside. Uh, tell me about that. Uh, what is More Light doing now, and what are they, and what's the, on the uh, horizon for transgender issues? I believe that we're at a really exciting and critical time for the work around LGBT inclusion within our congregations and in society, that while we're poised to have uh, Supreme Court hopefully rule in the next couple of days or weeks around allowing same-sex marriage across the country. At the same time, we've seen 
further efforts in over 27 states across the country for uh, restrictions to be enacted into law that would allow, for example, uh, a court magistrate to be able to refuse same-sex marriage licenses um, uh, because of their religious beliefs, claiming a religious freedom or religious liberty argument. So North Carolina, for example, just Mm -hmm. enacted such a law. Um, And Indiana would be kind of the most famous example that that allowed businesses to discriminate. So it's it's this critical moment of of tension and possibility. I believe that our churches have a real opportunity to shine forth, frankly, that what's next for More Light is continuing to partner with our congregations to help them live into their welcome. Something that I noticed as I traveled around these past two years um, as the executive director of More Light is that I would visit some congregations that have been more light for 30 years or more, or some that have been more light just for two years or five years. And every congregation was asking the same question, which is, what's next and how can we do this better? Hmm. Um, So we entered a discernment period about how more light can help um, because we believe that that there's such an opportunity out there. And so we've really come to this sense that what's next for us is to really be a capacity building organization for our congregations to help partner with them, to look around their communities and their state and figure out how can they shine more light? What is needed um, for, for folks within their community? So a really great example of that is a church in San Antonio, um, the Presbyterian More Light Church that looked around and noticed that there was no place for LGBT youth to gather. So they partnered with a local group and housed the very first LGBT youth group that met regularly. And when I got to go visit, um, it was the first joint meeting of the LGBT youth group and the church youth group. And what what happened was this really beautiful conversation about what it means to um, be a good ally. How can we stop bullying of all kinds? Um, what, do, what do we each need from each other to learn more? It was a really incredible um, Experience, And I think that that's something that really demonstrates some of the hunger that still exists, that for so many people, they still haven't heard that it's possible to be LGBT and Christian, and that our churches are really well positioned to actually um, make a difference. And it's going to become not so much about changing one policy, but really looking back into our communities to see where the need is. If you are just joining us on Religion for Life, my name is John Schuck, and my guest is Alex McNeil. He's the executive director of More Light Presbyterians and the first openly transgender leader of a mainline denominational organization uh, in the United States. And uh, with you being transgender and go- having gone through this journey from female to male, does that open up uh, questions for people? Because I, I know that people often don't know, don't know what, what to think or what to do about it, and, and you end up being a public figure, um, kind of being able to open up that conversation. I've experienced being open as a transgender man in this role with More Light um, to be an incredible gift. Mm. It has been incredible to travel to churches across the country and get to have the conversation, whether formally or informally, about what it means to be transgender, what it means to be a transgender Christian, someone called to serve the church. And some of the work that I've gotten to do is I have a workshop that I've been leading at different churches that is called uh, Sexual Orientation and Gender Identity, Connecting the Dots. 
because there's a lot of questions that that come up around it's not just about being transgender but what is that how does that interact with being gay or lesbian and um and in this workshop what has been really incredible about it is that it has helped people to see and build some empathy with transgender people that the point of the workshop is not that you leave knowing the answer to every single definition um, in the dictionary about uh, gender identity or sexual orientation, but that you know how to build a relationship with someone for whom you may not know their gender identity or sexual orientation, that you're able to go into that conversation with curiosity rather than just a need to, to learn more facts and then move on, curiosity about building a relationship. And so being open as a transgender man within that has allowed for a depth to the conversation that I think you know, my vulnerability allows other people to, to be vulnerable and talk about their experience learning to be a man or a woman in this culture. And that has been such an eye-opening um, experience for me. Well, you are a gift uh, to the church and to the culture and in your vulnerability of being able to, uh, to just to be out there, to be a human being and to invite others to be human beings as well. You know, in the news uh, recently, uh, Caitlyn Jenner uh, has come out, her picture uh, in magazines. And I'm wondering what you think about celebrity in terms of someone like Caitlyn, how that helps to move, make the movement forward, as well as what might be some... Um, things that are not spoken um, when, uh, when I'm thinking, for example, people might think, well, Caitlyn Jenner is, or Caitlyn Jenner is what it means to be transgender. Um, and so she ends up having to kind of carry a lot of identity just within her person. But of course, obviously being uh, transgender is a variety of, of what it means to be human. I really support anyone who has the bravery to be public about their transition going through a, a medical process or even having the courage to name that your identity is different than the, the, the sex you were assigned at birth or the way people have been perceiving you for most of your life is an incredibly brave thing. And what inspires me is when people like Caitlyn Jenner or Laverne Cox or Janet Mock use their platform as a way to lift up the voices of trans people who are never going to make the cover of a magazine, um, who, who use their experience as just a small window into a broader uh, view of what it means to be transgender. And I think in, in some respects, Caitlyn Jenner has done that. And she has some amazing examples of some pretty powerful transgender women to follow that, uh, that she could use, continue to use her platform to do that. Now, that's not what everyone's called to do, and I really do believe that in some ways to use that public platform for lifting up other trans people is a calling, and, um, but it's really amazing to see when that happens because we know that just this year, over 11 transgender women, mostly, and some men have been murdered for being transgender, that when we, when we exist in this on the one hand, hyper-celebrity around trans identity, it's easy to forget that for so many transgender women and men, mostly people of color, finding food, a place to stay, a steady job is a matter of life and death. A few years ago, I'm not sure if this is still happening, uh, there was a documentary uh, about you called Out of Order. Where are we with that? You're right. There is a documentary called Out of Order that just finished um, 
filming last summer and we just finished fundraising for funds to edit uh, and put it together. So this fall, um, the film will be edited and be ready for uh, submission to film festivals coming in, starting in January. And the hope is that we'll be able to launch on outoforderdoc.com, our page where f- different churches or individuals can uh, screen the film. And we're creating a discussion guide to go alongside it because what we really see as part of Out of Order, which is not just about my story, but about others um, who have been either in the ordination process in the Presbyterian Church um, as LGBT folks or serving in ministry, that it really becomes, again, a platform to, to show the diversity within this group um, and also provide a way for congregations or individuals to engage with stories um, and lived experiences about what it's like to be an openly LGBT Christian um, and someone who's really rooted theologically in our um, in the Christian tradition, to be able to interact with that uh, and so creating some educational resources to go alongside it so that it broadens the conversation beyond just viewing the film. And so that's great news to hear that. So that film is coming out then this fall. Actually, this spring. This, <laughs> it's being spring. edited this fall. It's Edit- coming out in the spring. Okay, edited fall in the spring of 2016. Yes. Okay, that's fantastic. Um, Well, now the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church is meeting uh, in Portland. Uh, Welcome, everyone, Uh, in in June or July or uh, the summer, anyway, of 2016. So what do you uh, see on the agenda for the General Assembly? There's no one single piece of polity change that's going to be coming forward. Um, What's going to be really exciting is the General Assembly has the... um, ability to officially adopt the Belhar Confession, to, uh, to put that into our Book of Confessions, which is going to be a really powerful um, testimony to our faith that has now been ratified by the requisite number of presbyteries and can be added to our Book of Confessions, which has not been done since um, 1967. And that, um, and that confession, era. just to kind of catch people up, that was a confession of the Church of South Africa and, and as they, when they were going through apartheid. Exactly. It's an extremely powerful witness to faith in the midst of divisions. Um, mm-hmm. So that's, I think, the most major wide-sleeping piece. And what I believe is going to be happening are the presbyteries across the country are going to discern what the needs are um, if around continual um, inclusion of LGBT people. Uh, something that happened at the last General Assembly was... Uh, an item that was on the consent agenda, which um, from a commissioner resolution around um, international LGBT issues and allowing um, more kind of conversation about the harms that uh, folks internationally who are LGBT are facing. So I believe that individuals and congregations and presbyteries will be discerning in the next few months about where else do we need to add our voice to this conversation. Um, And so I'm excited to see what ends up developing. My congregation is figuring out, trying to figure out, we're a more light church, and uh, um, and now we're saying, okay, now what? Now what do we? Mm-hmm. And and yeah, I think... and actually, I will say that in the next few weeks, we're going to be more light is going to be rolling out more specifically um, what is next to, as a way to help give congregations a path um, to think about where they are in terms of what they want to be doing and the kind of discernment they want to be having around what it means to be a more light church in this kind of post 14 F era. Mm-hmm. So th- I will, 
I'm excited for that. There's, there's a lot to be done and we've really been visioning um, and discerning how we can best help that happen. Yeah, I think it's great. I know one of the conversations, for example, my church is having is what to do uh, with homeless youth and particularly those who identify as LGBT. Exactly. Well, I will say, John, that at the More Light Conference, we're going to have a specific um, uh, workshop around working with queer homeless youth. Oh, really? Um, oh, good. Because what what we've seen is that there are there are distinct issues that each More Light church is passionate about, and our job in the in the next you know, uh, era, we're not dictating what you need to be passionate about, but to really help bring together what each church is passionate about and like having a heart or an eye for LGBT people within that. So we know a lot of our churches have great homeless ministries, but aren't necessarily seeing how LGBT people are disproportionately impacted by being homeless or showing up even to their homeless ministry. So helping to bridge that gap with, and a lot of what we're going to be doing is, is connecting churches and networking groups to, to have some representatives meet kind of, um, uh, virtually probably, um, to share like, what, what is your church thinking about? What has your church done to share best practices and, and try and generate some more ideas together. And I believe that out of that, we might have some further like legislation that we could bring towards general assembly, for example, as one outcome. Alex McNeil on Religion for Life. We just have a couple of minutes left, but I, I do want to ask you again uh, a, a little bit about your personal story and, and what it means. You said at the beginning of our conversation that you um, became to feel who you really are, and that is a pretty courageous move to make. Um, what would you say to people who are, are wrestling uh, with uh, questions of gender identity or sexual identity um, and, and to be able to have, the, the, have that courage to go ahead and, and take that journey? Because there might be a lot of forces that might, pe- might make people think, uh, forget it. It's, it's too much work. It's too much hassle. It's too much pain. I would say to folks who are in the midst of wrestling with their gender identity or sexual orientation in the midst of discerning what their path is, that in, in the Bible, God often comes to us when we're wrestling, when we're unsure, that that kind of journey is a place where God can live too, that you're not moving away from God simply by asking the questions or discerning the right path for your life. And for me, the choice to move forward in, in seeking transition was one of the biggest leaps of faith that I've ever taken. Mm-hmm. I had no idea how it was going to turn out, how my body would respond, how my um, peers would react. But I believe that in that leap of faith, I learned something about myself and about my faith that, you know, sometimes we just have to take the leap and trust that there will be someone to meet us there on the other side and that someone might be ourselves. And that's been the greatest gift in transition for me. Alex, thank you for that. And thank you for uh, being vulnerable, sharing your story, uh, not only with me on the radio, but also uh, throughout, uh, throughout your, your ministry with More Light Presbyterians and, and throughout your life. Uh, as, as you know, you are touching lives everywhere. Uh, Alex McNeil, Executive Director of More Light Presbyterians has been my guest on Religion for Life. Thanks, Alex, for your work and for being with me today. Thanks, John. It's been a real pleasure. 
You've been listening to Religion for Life at the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. I'm John Shuck. You can find links to podcasts at religionforlife.com. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes. Religion for Life is heard on KZUM Lincoln, Nebraska, WEHC, Emory, Virginia, WETS, Johnson City, Tennessee, and produced by KBOO Portland. Be well.